showcasing beloved favorites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network.
And from Ramsgate, Kent, England, this is Jason Drury welcoming you back to the second part of this latest edition of the Archive Show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. As always, it's a big hello to our listeners at cinematicsound.net and for Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, TuneIn, Google Play, Radio Public and wherever you get great podcasts with funny names. It's great to have you join us for the programme. And if you are listening to us through Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, on your iPhone, whatever, please take the time to rate and review the show. It really helps get the show noticed and also helps new listeners be introduced to the programme. Also, as you may know, we have a new Merc store where you can buy an archive logo t-shirt with my name on it. Or one from any other of your favourite Cinematic Sound Radio Network programmes, as well as hundreds of other items, including some limited edition apparel. Yeah. To see what swag is on offer, go to TeePublic. The link is strategically placed on the webpage. Now, as I said, this is part two of episode 24 of the show, and if you are keeping count, really... And, of course, if you haven't listened to part one of this show, as always, I admire your rebellious attitude. Now, later on, we will have music from a real television classic. The French-German children's adventure drama, The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. With music by Robert Melin and Jean-Pierre Riverberry. We then play music from the 1993 legal thriller The Firm. The music performed entirely on piano by Dave Grushin. We finish off this part of the show with another forgotten gem. When renowned music editor Ken Womberg takes on scoring duties with dramatic effect for the 1984 science fiction adventure The Philadelphia Experiment. But we started part two with the theme from the 1970 western Two Meals for Sister Sarah, composed by the late... Ennio Morricone. The music has been recently reissued on a new two CD set from La La Land Records. And as you know, excuse me. Sorry about that, my four CD set of voice to the bottom of the sea has finally arrived. Music from that is for a future show, like for example, the next one I do. Music from that will be for a future show, like the next one I do. That's by the by. Now, as I was saying, where was I? Oh yes, Two Bills of Sister Sarah is the second of the Maestro Schools to feature on this two-part episode of the Archive. If you listen to part one, you have heard music from The Thing. Two Bills of Sister Sarah was directed by Don Siegel and starred Shirley MacLaine, who was billed above her co-star, a certain Clint Eastwood. Nun Sarah is on the run in Mexico and is saved from cowboys by Hogan, played surprisingly by Clint Eastwood, who is preparing for a future mission to capture a French fort. The pair become good friends, but Sarah never does tell him the true reason behind her being outlawed. Now, this was the second of five collaborations between Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood. Following Coogan's Bluff in 1968, the collaboration continued with The Beguiled and Dirty Harry, both in 1971, 
and finally escaped from Alcatraz in 1979. Morricone at the time was relatively unknown in the US and whatever fame the composer had came from his theme from the Good, the Bad and the Ugly, Hugo Montenegro's cover version which reached number two in the Billboard charts in 1968 and later became a catch question in Trivial Pursuit. Mulcahy scored films rarely for the American market. Examples included Navajo Joe in 1967, Guns for San Sebastian in 1968, and Once Upon a Time in the West in 1969. This changed with a series of films from 1970s onwards, which Mulcahy scored with American directors and European directors with American leading actors. But none were more successful than Two Mules, and given Eastwood's history with the composer, it seemed, in hindsight, to be a no-brainer for Morricone to be hired for the score. Once director Seagull and producer Martin Rackin sent the script to the composer, he immediately came up with ideas. The mule theme was cleverly concocted with a high-pitched piccolo and a Hammond H66 organ. Added to it was a variety of woodwind instruments from bassoon to oboe to recorder to flute running up and down the scale guitars and banjos intentionally a little off, a subtle hint that the story was not exactly on the level. Added to which was the typical blend of weird vocal sounds associated with the music of Morricone as well as a full orchestra. But his score's masterstroke is his use of a small choir gently chanting the Latin text to the Lord's Prayer with organ accompaniment for Sister Sarah. Bird call effects remind the listener of the outdoor settings of the film as guitar and marimba subtly suggest the Mexican locale. Today, Two Mules and Sister Sarah is considered up there as one of the late composer's Western classics. In Don Siegel's old words, quote, the music is among the most original and unusual ever written for film. As far as I am concerned, Morricone was a genius. Unquote. So here now is more music from the 1970 Western Two Muse for Sister Sarah, original score composed by Ennio Morricone.
That was music for the 1970 Western Two Muse for Sister Sarah, with original score composed by Ennio Morricone, with the orchestra conducted by Bruno Nicolai. The original soundtrack recording is available now as a recently released two-disc set from La La Land Records. And, as I said in part one, listen out for some quality tribute shows on the music of the late, great Ennio Morricone, coming soon on a Cinematic Sound Radio Network. The home for beloved favourites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. What you have just heard has been recently described as the world's greatest 28-second earworm. That theme comes from the classic television series The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe, or if you prefer the French title, La Adventures de Robinson Crusoe, a French-German television drama made by Franco London Films and based on Daniel Defoe's novel published in 1719, Robinson Crusoe. It is the story of a young Englishman's struggle for survival on an unknown desert island and his recollections of his adventures prior to the shipwreck that brought him there. In particular, his involvement with slave traders. He has a pet dog, Dick, a parrot and a goat for company. In the latter half of the story, a group of cannibals arrive on the island he repels them by means of explosives and in process rescues a man from becoming their next meal. He names him Friday. In the end, he comes to terms with his less than exemplary past and becomes a better man thanks to his experiences on the island, befriending Friday and putting his life in order. Now, the show was first aired in Germany in October 1964 in four 90-minute episodes by co-producers CDF Television and syndicated in the USA the same year. Now, it was first aired in the United Kingdom in 1965 as a 13-part serial. The English dub version was produced by Henry Dersermeister. You can't get a more German name than that. And also had a new musical soundtrack composed by British composer Robert Melling, an Italian Zan Piero Riverberry, replacing the music originally composed for the series by José Valpari for the French-German version. This cosmopolitan production shot in black and white in the Canary Islands and originally in French starred, starred the Austrian actor 
Robert Hoffman as Robinson Crusoe. The series was eventually dubbed into English and was purchased by the BBC for the UK and received its first screening in around 1965. Every year onwards until the mid-70s, the series was part of the staple TV diet for millions of British school kids, including myself, throughout the summer holidays. It was still shown sporadically at odd times of the day by the BBC right up to 1982, when it was finally dumped, literally, into a skip. No, there's no market for them, is there? Luckily, the remaining English prints turned up in a French film archive some years after the last showing on UK TV. No thanks, of course, to Auntie Beeb, who had a knack, as you may know, of ditching programmes that nobody would ever want to watch again, like old episodes of Doctor Who and Dad's Army and things like that. Who wants to watch them anymore? Radio commentator Glenn Mitchell once said, quote, The theme tune with its rumbling introductory notes, suggesting the rolling waves of the on-screen title sequence remain distinctive as of the full incidental score, comprising numerous cues that in each case represent some part of Crusoe's existence. Unquote. The score, in fact, is a library of cues provided by the two composers, cues written for various moods and situations we cut to suit the individual episodes, but musically it combines the maritime idiom of the late 17th and early 18th centuries with some very clear 1960s influences. So now, for some people of a certain age, let's recall those Saturday mornings or summer holidays and remember a true TV classic of our childhoods. Here is more music from the 1964 children's television serial The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe with original score composed by Robert Mellin and Jean-Pierre Riverberry.
That was really for the 1964 children's TV serial The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe, with original score composed by Robert Mellin and Jean Pierre Riverberry. Performed by the Paul Whiteman Orchestra, conducted by San Piero Riverberry. The original soundtrack recording was last released in 1990 by Silver Screen Records. And like some other items on the show, is well overdue a reissue. 
This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. If you have listened to the latest of the excellent filmic programme by Lee Bricknell, and if not, why not? You had heard music from David Shire's score for Fancy Four Coppola's 1974 film A Conversation, which was performed entirely on piano. Now this got me thinking about playing music from another film scored, more or less, in exactly the same way. 19 years later, in 1993, The Firm was a legal thriller directed by Sidney Pollock and starred Tom Cruise, Jeanne Triplehorn, Gene Hackman, Ed Harris, Holly Hunter, Hal Holbrook and David Strathairn. The film was based on the 1991 novel by John Grusham. Mitch Medea, a young man with a promising future in law. About the city's bar exam, is approached by the firm and made an offer he doesn't refuse. Seduced by the company and gifts showered on him, he is totally oblivious to the more sinister side of the company. Then two associates are murdered. The FBI contact him, asking him for information and suddenly his life is ruined. He has a choice, work with the FBI or stay with the firm. Either way, he will lose his life as he knows it. Mitch figures the only way out is to follow his own plan. Now, while filming the firm on location in Memphis, director Sidney Pollock became especially intrigued with the indigenous blues one associates with the city's famed Beale Street. This interest provided the initial impetus for an unconventional idea. Most people were baffled as to how it would work when he first proposed his concept that scoring this legal thriller should take the form of blues-based piano alone. But composer Dave Grusin found the suggestion fascinating and enticing. He was more than game to give it a try. He had his doubts, however, or the viability of the idea. Despite the director's enthusiasm, he believed the piano would wind up being augmented by orchestra and wanted to leave track space open on the tape for additional instrumentation, which he thought might be required in the end to provide extra power to the music. Indeed, Grusin found that writing for himself alone, rather than a substantial ensemble, enhanced the artistic process. The resulting jazz-orientated score stands out not only as one of his most innovative, but also one of his most successful, earning him a Grammy and Academy Award nomination in the process. Grusin found that one of the most attractive things of the project was a chance to improvise. He started out by playing the picture of a variety of lines for some Memphis scenes in the rough cut of the film and submitted a recording of the samples to Sidney Pollock just to give him a taste of the idea the composer was thinking about. The director was so infused by the perfect match of music to scene that he decided to use many of those sampled improvisations exactly as submitted. All special keyboard effects were all done on the Yamaha grand piano, particularly an effective reverberation when he put the pedal down and rap on a soundboard where the strings are. All kinds of intriguing percussion was generated. Every sound in the score was made on that Yamaha grand piano, even though some of the sounds were things like hitting it with a timpani mallet. Grusin had achieved the diktat of Pollock and created a score for solo piano only, something rarely done for film. 
Basil Polidorus's music for It's My Party in 1996 and David Shire for The Conversation in 1974 spring immediately to mind. But never in such a high studio production as the firm. But critics loved this unusual approach, with a reporter raving that Dave Grusin's seductive but chilling score and John Soule's seductive and mottled sculpts were the perfect blend of promise and malice. The firm was a tour de force for piano player, said Grushin of his score to the Hollywood Reporter. I will always be grateful for Sidney's determination to stick with the solo keyboard format. Ultimately, it's his dedication that made the score work. So here now is music from the 1993 legal thriller, The Firm. Original score composed and performed by Dave Grushin.
That's his music from the 1993 legal thriller The Firm, with visual score composed and performed by Dave Grushin. The sensational original soundtrack recording is available on a two-disc set from La La Land Records. So sad now we come to the end of part two of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And what a pair of shows they were. And what a pair of shows it has been. You will not get better until you get the next one, which will be even more brilliant, I hope. I'll leave you today with music from a real forgotten gem. The Philadelphia Experiment, the 1984 science fiction film directed by Stuart Raphael and starring Michael Paré, Bobby DeSico and Nancy Allen. The film was set in 1943. David Herdig and Jim Parker are stationed on a ship used for experiments to make it invisible to radar. However, the experiment goes horribly wrong and the ship completely disappears and Hedberg and Parker find themselves in the Nevada desert in the year 1984. They find out the program has been revived in 1984, unexpectedly interacting with the experiment in 1943 and putting the entire world in danger. Now Kenneth Wannenberg is one of those unsung heroes of film music, a quiet musician who laboured tirelessly behind the scenes for 46 years on some of Hollywood's biggest scores and biggest films. As one of the industry's leading music editors, Wanberg worked with some of the industry's top composers, starting with Bernard Herrmann on 1959's Journey to the Centre of the Earth and ending with John Williams on 2005's Munich. Wanberg also worked with such composers as Jose Delarue, Alex North, James Horner, Michael Small and Dave Gushin, among many others. Now, Wahlberg was hired to score the Philadelphia Experiment, likely due to his association with John Williams, as music editor on Return of the Jedi and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which he had completed just before starting composing music for the film. For a project that didn't have the budget to attract a composer of Williams' calibre, Wahlberg was seen as an acceptable substitute and provided a powerful orchestral score in a Williams-esque style. Wahlberg began his score with a powerful adventurous theme which is introduced in the film as the sailors first get a glimpse of a USS Eldridge when they arrive for their secret assignment. Wahlberg's heroic main theme represents the Eldridge and by association the characters of David and Jim in their adventures through the time stream and would lead to a poignant as they try to regain but past when trapped 40 years into the future. Wangberg's coherent dissonances help keep the action moving forward, accentuating danger and urgency with vibrant orchestration. In the 1980s, due to the low costs, a number of low-budget films were able to come to the UK and record with major UK orchestras. The Philadelphia Experiment benefited from this in spades, with the music performed superbly by the National Philharmonic Orchestra and recorded at Abbey Road Studios by the legendary Eric Tomlinson. The score is a genuine 
almost forgotten gem from a man who, as you were here, could write some quality film music just as well as he could edit it. It's no wonder that Kenneth Warnenberg was in demand by the top Hollywood film composers for nearly 50 years. So here now is music from the 1984 science fiction adventure The Philadelphia Experiment, with original score composed and conducted by Kenneth Warnenberg and performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra. The original soundtrack recording is part of an album called the the Ken Wonberg Film Music Collection, Volume 1, which is available on BSX Records. And, if you want to see the film, it is available to see, and bring back so many memories for you, I'm sure, if you've seen it before, on YouTube. And probably, by my saying that, they'll probably take it down, but hopefully it's still there. If it's not, don't blame me. Nothing to do with me. I do hope you enjoyed both parts of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And until the next time, I dig up more items for the Cinematic Sound Radio Archive with my Cinematic Sound Radio shovel. From me, Jason Drury, as always, is take care and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to the archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I would like to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice on the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the programme, Derek Cosina for providing the archive's intro music, and Eric Woods for letting me loose on his station. If you have any comments, questions and concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sin Sound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show. I want a brief review. Reviews help present potential new listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to TeePublic to get an archived t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net. <laughs>